Hello and welcome to the Standard Room Only Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I do cover the Washington Commanders for the Athletic. Uh, that is a, that is a, it feels like that is more of a therapy job today than a reporter job today after the Washington Commanders. I haven't done the math yet, but I would argue, and I did last night among my colleagues, that that loss last night was the worst in the Ron Rivera era, 40-20 to to the Chicago Bears. Um, it's not just, of course, that they lost at home and, and, and were blown out, for the most part. Wasn't as bad on the scoreboard as 37-3 to to the Bears. I'm sorry, to the Bills in week three of the previous game. But it was far worse because of the circumstances, meaning the, the Chicago Bears entered this game 0-4 and had lost 14 consecutive games with a mix of terrible offense and defense. And yet the Commanders were never really in this game. Um, I'll give you some of my thoughts here in a moment. You can read my story up on The Athletic. David Aldridge also had some words to share on The Athletic. Um, and I'll give you some, you know, to give you my thoughts about this game in a second. Um, despite this game, subscribe to the podcast. We'll, we'll continue to break down this team throughout the season. Uh, the Standard Room Only podcast. Of course, also read me on The Athletic and follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing, where you are absolutely invited to tweet at me reasonably all the time. But in this case, you've got you want to vent. Go ahead, vent away. And there's a lot of venting going on right now on social media and everywhere else after really just an absolutely putrid loss, which even had Magic Johnson tweeting about how this team was was flat, not competitive. Uh, from the jump and it is it's all true you know I think I, I was thinking about this earlier I think like almost on some weird way the telling point of the game was the Bears won the toss the opening coin toss and we know that we, we know the deal now you win the opening coin toss you defer to the second half that way you get the ball for the first possession of the second half. Maybe you can double up if you had the last possession of the first half or, you know, hey, behind, we, we get a chance to catch up right away, what have you. The Bears said no. The Bears said, even though that the defense we're about to play is considered to be one of the better ones in the league with four first-round picks on the defensive line, six recent first-round picks, in the starting lineup, I'm going to say four because there's a starter, but you know what I mean. Close enough. And even though we're the Bears, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're playing solid football. It seems like an absolute journey. They're like, no, no, no. We're going to take the ball first. And clearly they did know something. Because the first drive of the game, the Bears get a DJ Moore touchdown. Justin Fields completed two passes. For I think it was like 78 yards. Um, and it they, the Bears never really looked back from there. They torched Washington's secondary, which is apparently a weekly uh, thing that teams now like to do. They held Washington to three points in the first half. 
went into the locker room up 27-3, to and even when Washington showed some more gumption in the second half to get it within 10, they were able to do enough to hold on. I mean, Washington certainly helped in that regard. This was... Um, you know, I always try to think in, in my case, because especially with with this franchise, right, with this team, I should say, under Ron Rivera, every year what happens? Every year, like, okay, slow start, one and four, two and three, whatever it is with two and three right now, of course. And then somehow they find a way to crawl back in, right? I mean, they have basically been in some kind of the playoff wildcard mix every year despite these slow starts. Last year they went to seven five and uh, seven and five right before things kind of fell apart. And who's to say that that won't happen this time? But each year is different in and, in and of itself, and this year was supposed to be different. This is year four under Rivera. It's not the first year where during COVID he's having to you know organize a brand new team, set a new culture, start his quarterback searching plans and 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 do all that while he's deal battling with cancer and all the Dan Snyder things. That was an insane year. And then the next year hopes were higher because that first year they actually made the playoffs as the NFC's winner at 7 and 9 but with a defense that looked incredibly promising. And then it came out unbelievably flat. They lose to Ryan Fitzpatrick in the open game, of course, but they come out flat. And again, while there was a midseason comeback, it never really felt like anything was going to happen too much. And then you have last year. The defense plays much better, but it was another slow start. And then you have the Carson Wentz piece where they, they try to be aggressive to find their new quarterback. That didn't work. And this year, while they went to Sam Howe, was definitely. A curious decision just based on the inexperience of, of, of how at least there's hope in a young quarterback. And more specifically, he would have some offensive playmakers still. He would have a new offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, And this defense, Chase Young, would be back. John Allen and Deron Payne coming off Pro Bowl years. Montez Sweat is good. They drafted a, a cornerback in the first round. You have... Cam Curl, Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Juice. Like, there's reasons to be optimistic about this defense, even if you think the linebacking group is a bit shaky. And then they start off 2-0. And not that beating Arizona and beating Denver, now that, at, at, at Denver, now that we've seen how bad the Broncos are. Not that those were, like, impressive wins. It's to say that the defense looked imposing at times in those games. You've heard me say that. And it's not even so much that they then lost the next two to Buffalo and at Philadelphia. Those two teams are arguably the two best teams in the league. If you told me that's the Super Bowl matchup, you'd be like, all right, sure. Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, why not? But at two, but the, and Washington lost those games, including the heart, the overtime heartbreaker against the Eagles on Sunday. You take all that into account and you think, okay. But for the but this is but this next game is setting up perfectly. I get it. The other teams get paid too. This is a refrain the players have, have mentioned the last uh, few weeks here and there when 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 the losses are you know, starting to happen. 
And, you know, Justin Fields, the Bears quarterback, has been largely unimpressive so far in his NFL career, but he did show something. He probably had his best game as a passer, at least, the uh, this past Sunday against Denver. Still, this offense doesn't have a ton going on. They're, the defense is missing two starters in the secondary. You know, Washington should get this done. And maybe more importantly, it's the rare time where it was like, no, no, no. It's not that they should get this done. There's almost no excuse to not get this done. Unless, as I told Kevin Sheehan on the on his uh, Team 980 show uh, on Thursday morning, unless they come out flat. Unless they come out flat and at that point everything goes wrong. And always that's a possibility, not just for Washington, for any NFL team, but specifically for this team because we've seen over the years how they can take <clears throat> a good thing and throw umpteen flies into it to ruin the taste. Or I don't know what analogy that was, but you know what I mean. And if you had told and and like if you had told me that they lost to the Bears, just lost. I mean that in and of itself would be pretty bad, but considering the dynamics here. You've got the Bears this week, Atlanta next week, then the Giants who have been looking awful. That's a chance to get to five and two in a real way. Four and three at a minimum, five and two possible. That that's not something that can be ignored. This is what and if you're a good team, which they fancy themselves as being, meaning Washington, you've got to win this game. You've got to win it convincingly. You've got to come out strong. You've got to come out fast. There's a sellout crowd. Get that momentum going. And so to come out the way that they did, getting torched again in the secondary, last week it was eight, or last Sunday it was A.J. Brown. Now it's D.J. Moore. Um, hopefully they're not facing C.J. Beathard or somebody uh, in a game next week because they'll have a problem uh, there as well. This was, you, you can't, you can't do that. You, I get that the other team is there to get paid. You have to take control of this game. This is what good teams do. And like I was saying, I feel like this was not, I mean, there's no reason to think that the commanders were good, but there's reason to think that they could be because of the defense, because Sam Howell is maturing, because Eric Bieniemy play calling. And yet that happened. An embarrassing loss to say the least. And, you know, we can go through some of the, the keys of the game, But I think even the players last night, like usually everybody has a stiff upper lip after games, but even the players last night understood. They didn't, and I assume most of them or all of them didn't even see Magic Johnson's tweet excoriating them after the game. I mean, I say excoriate. I mean, for for an owner to come out and say, hey, we didn't, we didn't play with much uh, or, or any uh, energy, right? Th th that That's notable. Especially like if you pay attention to Magic Johnson's Twitter, the guy tweets nothing but positive stuff for the most part, which is understandable considering the nature of who he is. But hey, he's got a job now as, you know, he's a minority owner of this team and he said what he said, which is also interesting in and of itself because you don't rarely, you rarely see that. 
but okay. You know, usually I try to sort of have an outline for the show um, to, to some degree, just things I want to maybe touch on. And here I'm just kind of free-flying, free-flowing here because, uh, <laughs> well, for one, it's early Friday morning and uh, the idea of forming an outline didn't make much sense. But secondly, it just felt like more appropriate to just try to react to what, I was th what I'm thinking here. I, I know what a lot of you are thinking because uh, many of you were commented on, I left a comment on my story or tweeted at me today at Ben Standing and or overnight. And, you know, obviously a lot comes down to we, we can't go through this again. We cannot have another year in which whatever, regardless of almost what happens later, other than, you know, having a traumatic run to the postseason and then in the postseason. No, nobody wants to hear any more about being close or anything on those lines. The good, the good news is. Like I said, I feel like the players last night, they were in shock as much as I think the rest of us were. Like, they were they were demoralized after the Philadelphia loss because they had just taken a bitter defeat in overtime in a game they thought they should have won. They played at a high level for the most part. They went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the team that won the NFC Championship last year. They, they, they wouldn't accept any notion of moral victory. But it was, you know, obvious that there was some positive momentum coming out of that game, or at least there was some hope more than there had been. And then, and yet, four days later, we have Terry McLaurin at his locker telling reporters, you know, this is as bad as it gets. We have John Allen saying the defense played like horseshit. We have Montez Sweat talking about that it, it's like there's a memo out there that the commanders want to uh, get, get blasted early and then come back. Chase Young, in his uh, media session last night, just said over and over again, have to start faster, have to find a way to start faster. And like I said, I didn't take most of these comments as sort of the standard, you know, Nuklelushian-type responses when you have a bad game, this felt like they were, many of them were searching for more than just words. They were searching for what on earth is happening here. And it's fair if that's what was, if that's what was uh, happening. Cause I know a lot of you are feeling that way today. And I know there's a lot of questions about, well, what do you do about it? One thing with football, I've talked about this a lot in terms of how do you run an, how do you retool an organization you know in the nba you can make massive changes on the fly and have it affect that the current season right there's only i mean only i say there's the head coach there's a general manager and then there's like the you know one or two three stars and then maybe you know the top 7 to 8 players of consequence you can make some big shifts there and have it affect overnight. Plus, with basketball, like, not that there's not plays and not that there's not a system and you have to play as a team, but, you know, it's a much more free-flowing scenario where you can bring somebody in and, in theory, that player can assimilate fairly quickly. Football is not like that. Football is a, you know, massive uh, battleship, cruise ship. It's, it's, it's a... It's a uh, Entity that is not easily turned around. 
it takes time. You can't just say, well, let's fire this head coach or that person or something along those lines and have it all make sense. You know, well, we could we could talk about the next man up mentality and that's needed, but it doesn't really work that way for the most part in terms of switching personnel at key spots. So I don't, I mean, as we stand here on Friday morning, no, I'm not assuming you're expecting there to be any massive changes. And, and again, from the coaching side, I'm really not even sure what you could do. It's week five. I, I don't, I, I, you know, we have talked about Ron Rivera being in his potentially last season here because of new ownership group. If he doesn't get, even if he gets a winning season, he might need to win in the playoffs, we would think. Um, because, you know, the, it's not like the track record here has been particularly impressive. So I don't think that's happening. Now you might be saying, well, what about Jack Del Rio? <sighs> Man, I mean, look, I, I, uh, it is sort of baffling to what is happening here with this defense. This vaunted defense has allowed at least 30 points in four consecutive games, despite having that talent on the defensive line and having the continuity, because whereas the offense is brand new with Eric Bieniemy, Jack Del Rio, this is his fourth year, like like Rivera. Th- there should be a, a, a shorthand to solve these problems, to avoid these problems. I mean, like I said, if they lose to the Bears, pick a number, 24-21, well, we'd all be going, wow, that's terrible. But at least the scraps of the loss would be reasonable within general football context, you would think. This is beyond unacceptable to, to have gotten torched as bad as they did against this Bears team. Um, you know, and that it wasn't just DJ Moore. The, the, on multiple, like, third and long scenarios, they the Bears called runs with Khalil Herbert. In one, he picked up the first down. In the other one, he picked up six, and they, got, they converted it on the fourth and one the following play. Tight end Cole Komet caught a touchdown. Uh, they, they kicked a bunch of field goals. I believe the Bears scored in their first five possessions. You know, Kevin Sheen and I debated sort of the worthiness of this defense um, before the game, and, and we talked about the 30-point threshold, and um, you know he was sort of noting a little bit that they had, um, that the defense was given some tough circumstances by the offense uh, in terms of short field, things like that. And, and, and so that is, of course, true, but it's not like the defense was, was like holding, you know, holding everybody to field goals all the time or, you know, making, creating the turnovers. The, the leaks were there and they, in ways they should just not be. All that said, I just don't see them getting rid of Del Rio. I, anything is possible, of course. And Ron Rivera did say after the game that they will evaluate everything over the course of, of this mini buy, but I sort of took that evaluate as what, like I said, whereas the players didn't sort of give the standard answers you might hear after a loss, the coach largely did. Um, you know, I mean, Ron Rivera said, obviously it's not good enough. He, he lamented the slow starts, but he also said he doesn't think this game takes away, um, or diminishes any signs of growth that came before it. I kind of think that it does other than Sam Howell, who had I think, a pretty good game overall, even though the deep, the offense couldn't score in the first half. Um, I thought Howell was pretty good. He was 21 of 25 at one point, ultimately threw for 388 yards. Um, Washington did get within 10, but uh, Joey Sly missed field goal, and then things kind of went sideways from there. Um, but look, you got to have like somebody who's calling the plays. 
And I don't believe there's a, a coach on defense who has that experience. Um, I'm not even sure to the extent that Ron Rivera was calling plays. Well, I, I imagine he was earlier in his uh, coaching career as an assistant. But, you know, he's not done that here. So I don't see Ron Rivera all of a sudden taking control of the play calls. And I also can imagine you guys saying, well, good. Uh, well, that doesn't seem like a much of a fix. So I don't see the Del Rio um, getting fired. I'm also not saying it's the necessary move. You have to look at what is going on here with in terms of, like, say, the personnel. Like, obviously, Del Rio has some say in what they've done, but there's also a head coach. There's also a front office. You know, I haven't watched the tape yet, but, you know, what was going on with, with those runs and the effectiveness of Komet and Justin Fields being able to get out, which is something he's good at, but what does that say about the linebackers of Jamie Davis and Cody Barton, who we know were the weakest unit, weakest pieces of this offense, of this defense, and you know at best have shown hope in moments, but certainly nothing sustained. And you get to the secondary. Last week, you know you can't pin any one loss on one player, but obviously against Philly, Emmanuel Forbes was having a brutal time of things against AJ Brown and others. In this game, they came, Washington came out with Percy Butler as the fifth defensive back, which honestly seems like a reasonable move in terms of having three safeties versus three corners because of that ability to, because of Fields' ability to run, this gives you perhaps some better tacklers um, in there rather than feeling the need to have another corner. Except that the Bears said, okay, we're going to attack that spot where Percy Butler is. I think that first touchdown to DJ Moore, Benjamin St. Juice basically even said it was on him that he was reacting to something that ultimately wasn't there. But it also felt like the Bears were going at Percy Butler for sure. Uh, Kendall Fuller had his worst game without question um, here as well. But then Emmanuel Forbes comes in at one point and he's playing, of course. And this time it uh, wasn't as much about getting beat by the pass. It was missing tackles twice on DJ Moore. Uh, he or at least at least twice, I think both were DJ Moore. He just completely let the guy get past him at with the ball in his hands. Um, we've talked a lot about how is a guy 173 pounds going to last in the NFL. Well, part of that is it's it, we're that's assuming that the player goes in full throated when it comes to say things like tackling. And that and look, he's you know I'm not saying he's not, but He's been highly ineffective, and it got to the point where Washington said, hey, this isn't enough. They sat Forbes, brought Danny Johnson in, a move that I've been calling for for some time. Whenever Danny Johnson plays, he's just totally solid. Not saying he's great, not saying he should start, not saying he should play the majority of snaps. I'm just saying when he plays, he comes in and he's solid, and they finally gave him his first snaps of the year. By the way, second round pick Quan Martin did not play on defense, still has not taken a defensive snap this year. So what I'm saying is like I you know, did Del Rio pick all these guys? Did you know <clears throat> um I, I he certainly had a hand in some of it and yes you gotta have coaches that help get these guys better, but I don't know. Something is off on a, on the on the side of the ball that can't just be solid for Washington. That needs to be really good. Um, let, let me I, let me get to the offense before I wrap this up. Obviously, I haven't talked a lot about Sam Howell, I, I, other than just mentioning some basic stuff. I, look, I, I think Sam Howell was largely pretty good. 
Um, by the way, this goes also to Eric Bieniemy. I know I see a lot of you saying, "Well, just get rid of Rivera and Del Rio and make Bieniemy the head coach." We'll realize that in you know when they lost to the Bills, it was the final was thirty-seven to three, but it was sixteen nothing early in the in that fourth quarter. Like the defense at that point was at least holding up. The offense was not contributing anything. And then in this game, it's twenty-seven to three at halftime. Again, no, not absolving the defense, but the offense isn't exactly scoring. So you add those two things together, and by halftime against the Bears, Washington had been outscored sixty-four to six in their last six quarters at home. You can't just simply say, "Well, the enemy is fine," and get rid of everybody else. I mean, you have to ask what is happening here. As well, I think one play that I'm excited to see on film review. So the Bears go down and get the first touchdown. Washington's ball. It's third and one. All right, you're gonna hand it off to Brian Robinson, or at least you know give that look. Okay, sure, cool. But you look over and it's a split backfield, and who's to the left of Sam Howell in a three-point stance? His hand in the ground, I should say at least. There's Terry McLaurin, your top wide receiver. Uh, what? Like, I know that there's so many of these plays where it's designed almost to see what the defense is going to do. But you can't tell me that there's a scenario where it makes much sense. It's one thing to have McLaurin in that spot and then have him, you know, um, run a route out of it. But they did hand the ball off to Robinson with McLaurin in that position. And they didn't get the yard. And I'm not saying that it was on McLaurin's block that was the issue. I'm just saying, what, what was that call? That seems to me to sort of set the tone from there. Uh, <clears throat> is What I'm wondering with enemy so far, between the fact that, you know, Logan Thomas had a pretty good game, but at one point I, I noted he had 10 targets, the same amount as McLaurin, Dotson, and Samuel. That's obviously unacceptable from a playmaker perspective, but it does kind of feel like enemy is calling an offense for a different team sometimes, right? What, what did we see in the first three games? A, a out-of-whack run-to-pass ratio, throwing the ball a ton, even with a young quarterback who, you know, is still learning his way. And supposedly that was to help Hal out, but it seems like an overly aggressive or pass-heavy approach when this kid is still learning and your offensive line is giving up a ton of sacks. They gave up. Well, I shouldn't say they gave up. How a sack five times, that's 29 on the season. Even Charles Leno post-game was saying, hey, you know, I'm getting nervous about Sam. He's taking too many hits. In fact, why is he in the, at the end of the game? Seems like, you know, the coaches want us to, you know, keep fighting even when it feels like things are out of hand. I, he didn't say Biennemi by name, but it does feel like that was a, a, a note at Biennemi. Um Because Biennemi is the kind of coach who feels like he is – going to figure it out really kind of you know at all you know he does have that sort of constant next man up mentality it's not over till it's over sometimes you have to know when to when to say it's over and and move on for the next day in any event it does feel like at times the enemy is calling plays for a different team i mentioned the how thing ton i mean it's a tight end friendly offense we get that but logan thomas isn't travis kelsey simultaneously the chiefs by and large other than of course when tyreek hill was there they largely didn't have dominant receivers. They had a great quarterback could who could make 
sort of ordinary guys better or above average players, you know, stars or, 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 or potential stars, at least in a given game or two. Well, that's, of course, not here. You hear the receivers are the better players. And again, I'm not knocking Logan Thomas, but he shouldn't be getting the lion's share of the targets. And yet, of course, that is what's happening. Terry McLaurin was largely not involved in this game for the most part. Curtis Samuel scored a touchdown. Jahan Dotson, though, also not a, not a real factor. And for the most part this year, he hasn't been. It does feel like this is a question for coaching, for the play calling. What are you, what are you trying to accomplish here that you're not getting the ball to your primary playmakers? I thought that was one of the better things about the Eagles game was the early feeding of Terry McLaurin. Um, and, uh, you know, McLaurin even said it helped set up everybody else because the defense had to shift if the ball is going over and over again to your you know best receiver. That didn't happen in this game. So, yeah. Um, I don't even, you know, I like I said, I decided just to sort of free flow this. And the... <laughs> They do have a mini buy. It's funny. Uh, on uh, it, it felt like to a degree going off the Sunday loss to the Eagles and getting to play on Thursday was perhaps going to be cathartic for this team. Get past the tough break, move on, and, and get a chance to get back out there on the field quickly. And instead, now that they took a really bad loss, they get extra time to dwell on it. But it is also extra time for Rivera and his group to think about it. We'll think about it some more as well about possible changes, possible things to do. Like I said, I would just be surprised if they if there's any really drastic changes. I, and for what it's worth, you still I still think the Josh Harris group is is in asset gathering or sorry information gathering mode. They're figuring out what they have, what they don't. Talk about the sport. Um, you know, I, I I don't really don't think a coaching change of any sort is going to all of a sudden spark this team and turn things around. You know, Chase Young said it's not on Del Rio, and I didn't take it as him saying some saying that because he has to say something nice. I, I don't think that that's the case. Del Rio's been doing this for a long time, and we can question some things like we do with most coaches, but, you know, I don't know if it can all be on him. But that's not to say it's all on the players. Like I said, look at this draft class. With Forbes getting benched, right, none of the players in this draft class are contributing this year if Forbes is... Um, I, I'm not saying he's benched for next week or anything, but just, you know, if he's not even in the lineup, then nobody from this class is in the lineup. They've got some a, a couple extra days here to sort things through. Ron Rivera will talk to us today around 1 o'clock. We'll get his view of the, of the uh, tape. Yeah, it was uh, as bad as it gets. And uh, as Terry McLaurin said, and I think the worst loss in the in the Rivera era, um, and that is both saying something, and frankly, incredibly alarming. Week five, the fourth year against arguably the worst team in the NFL, and we're talking about the worst loss under Rivera. Whew. Um. All right. I like I said, I did write a story on the Athletic, kind of going over the idea that they they needed to come out and and be competitive but in a hey chicago this is gonna be a long night for you get ready 
kind of a way. And David Aldridge has a story up as well. I also did a recap with some of our Chicago writers uh, right after the game. So you can check all that uh, on The Athletic. And of course, I'll have to be back for more podcasts um, next week here on the Standard Room Only podcast. So make sure you subscribe there as well. I already was planning to try to get away from all this for a couple of days. Certainly, I'm glad that that is happening now. Regroup, refresh, get back at this. Um, On Monday, I I will be there for Rivera today. That's about all I can say for you guys as well. Hang in there. But don't, but vent. Like, don't, I'm not telling you to just, you know, move on like it was no big deal. This was terrible. It is still only week five. They are, they're two and three. They beat Atlanta. They beat the Giants. They're four and three, and maybe we're feeling better. But even then, and I say we, I'm not a we. I just mean, you know, the royal we. But even then, the, and I guess I maybe should have said this earlier, sort of the whole point of all this is it's not just enough to beat up on some of the teams at your level. When are you going to show that you belong at the higher level? That That's where some of the hope came, out of that Philadelphia game was supposed to come from after they, they, were, they, they hung tough. But instead... They, they get smoked by a team that's not at their level, or so we didn't think. And that's why, among the reasons why last night was such a bummer for sure, uh, in terms of expectations for this team. All right, enough rambling out of me. Um, thanks, everybody, as always, for checking out the podcast, reading me on The Athletic, following me on Twitter, at Ben Standig. Uh, you know, as Sam Howe said the other day after uh, uh, one of the losses, the sun will come out tomorrow. I'm watching, I'm looking outside, the sun is out, so that's the good news. Everything else, yikes. Um, anywho, Ben standing here, I'm signing off, until next time, see ya.